0: As Jeremy said, we are starting a new series, and I'm very excited to be back on this handy stool. I think it's been two or three years, and I blame Meyer,
1: so that's all I've got.
0: (laughs) But I am excited to be back. So, this piece us together. As Jeremy talked about, there is a crisis in our country that we have always talked about at Mosaic and wanted to add to the conversation. So I'll touch on that a bit, but also I think that our whole journey this year has brought us to this conversation. So we, a lot of us were at Passion Fest, and it doesn't take long to be in a conversation about reconciling people with massive differences to realize that you have to go on a journey of reconciliation with yourself. So we talked even a lot that weekend about So often we have to calm the storm inside before we can help two people to be reconciled. So that was one of the first things. And then it took us to the Anabaptists. And again, challenging in this peacemaking conversation and how they as a community um, inspire us in lots of ways to piece themselves together and to live wholeness within themselves, within the community and then wider. So I think it brought us to this, okay, let's talk about this war that rages inside of us. And so I think many of you will know that I have a good amount of emotion in me. So (laughs) I think, yeah, as soon as I said, tell that this is the series, absolutely keen. And luckily enough that we wanted to also bring in some more women voices because we actually think God speaks to men and women. (laughs) And luckily enough, I have a good friend, Brené Brown, who I also... (laughs) Have this woman who I am channeling tonight. So a lot of what I have learned about mental and emotional health, I have loved journeying with my friend Brené Brown, who's not my friend at all. She's absolutely a world-renowned researcher in the states, but I absolutely love her. So, yeah, um, one of the stories that helped me put my mind around how helpful mental and emotional going on this journey can be was that I remember about ten years ago, sitting in Phila Michelle's back lounge. I can quite picture the moment, and as you do in pre-marriage counseling, Justin and I are sitting and talking about all the ways in which we, we can't connect or we're frustrated or anything that bubbles up between the two of us. And I don't know if you know about this, but I was sharing about this idea that when I speak sometimes, I cry. So it was such a profound moment that just sharing some of this idea with Phil, and he could quite quickly, he goes, oh, so you haven't strengthened your emotional muscle, And it took such a split moment. It was so obviously profound to me that I was like, huh, on many levels, because all of a sudden, not only was I trying to articulate something that I didn't feel like I could very well, he had words for it. It was like, oh, so him having words for this means I'm not the only person who has experienced this, was obviously huge. It's like, this is a thing? (laughs) And then just having the word muscle, I think, was quite profound because I thought, I have muscles that I can go to the gym and I can at least do something with them. This is an emotional muscle. I have an emotional muscle. So, yeah, it's that idea that language and tools became so profound for me. And obviously, my whole life has been a journey of emotion, but this 10-year journey of mental and emotional health. Um, I think, yeah, in that moment, the tools and the language – couldn't take such a perspective, all of a sudden, me, this thing that I thought was so overwhelmingly broken in me, was a part of me. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's an, emo- it's an emotional muscle, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Now to my friend Brené, <laughs> and language, how important language can be. I think I've shared this story with a number of you because I think it's such a helpful analogy, and it absolutely encapsulates to me a journey of emotional health. She basically says that what she's found in her research is that without being able to feel an emotion, know what it is you're feeling, and put language to it, Mm. there's no way that we can heal or connect through that pain. Mm. And unfortunately, what they found through neuro research is that the brain records emotional pain the exact same way that it records physical pain. Mm. doesn't matter what sort of pain you're in, the brain is in pain. Mm. And if we don't have words, she, she says that it's like going into the doctor's office. You have this sharp, acute pain in your shoulder that is causing you to just go to tears. But your hands are tied behind your back and you can't speak. That's about the level of tools that we have as a, a basically she does her research in the States, but I don't think it's much different in New Zealand. Yeah. Imagine trying to tell the doctor how they, he or she could help you. You're a throbbing are crying. There's so many things the doctor could do to help. So she basically says emotional literacy is that profound. It's that helpful. It's not a matter of nuance. It's not a matter of, oh, is it this word or is it this word? It's a matter of, well, I could either put your arm in a cast or I could give you this ointment. Like, (laughs) which is going to help you? It's either you have a language. So without emotional literacy, she says, there's no healing and there's no connection. So why do we think that God wants to speak into this conversation? Mm-hmm. I think it's part of like what Jeremy alluded to. is We've always said at Mosaic that we want to speak to the deep ache of our generation. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any of us sitting in this room that haven't been deeply touched or have people close to us in our lives going through depression, touched by suicide. This is so real to us. It is a crisis. It's just like we say, so it's both a crisis in that suicide has touched everybody. And then we have people who are in acute pain, and they go on a waiting list for mental health help. So something that I think, again, analogy that helped me to think about this was um, at the TED talk. Basically, this group was saying, we have so much first aid for physical health. Many of us know how to help our children with cuts and bruises and help other people with CPR, choking. But what about mental and emotional first aid? So you could think about it in that way, if you don't think, so we have this series of four big emotions that we chose to talk about that we think most often prevent peace from being in us, shame, which I'm going to talk about tonight, resentment, anger, and anxiety. Even if you don't feel that those four things are wreaking war in you, it's that idea of emotional and mental first aid. How could you help offer what you've now learned of tools and language and skills to others? And I also love the idea that we, most of us have also been some sort of, had some sort of encountering with evangelical church. And I think so often I get in my head this idea that, oh yeah, I've invited God into my life. God is in my, if you will, the house of me. But I love that idea that actually our life is a house with so many rooms. It could be like this house. <laughs> it could be this house. But there's so many rooms and parts of us and actually how do we invite god into every room of our house is a much more helpful question Mm -hmm. so in every way i think mental and emotional health matters to god and matters to mosaic Mm -hmm. so i want to move towards a definition of shame so that we can start to work with it a bit so like i said it's not Just understanding shame, but there'll be a bit of nuancing from some other emotions that often kind of get wound up in it and we think it's shame. So what I want to start with is a little bit about guilt, embarrassment, humiliation, and shame, and be able to differentiate for, and offer you a little bit of how I've encountered them. So guilt. Guilt is the feeling that comes over us that feels I did something wrong or I did something bad. So, Quite an easy example, an area of my life where I'm like, I often feel guilt in this area. Conflict management skills. These are also, I'm learning as an adult. And so quite quickly, whenever I'm in an argument in a heated conversation with Justin, I can quite quickly go to, I really wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't said that so defensively or so attacking, or I wish I wouldn't have said, No, I've done, and slammed the door. Basically, any of the skills I have. (laughs) But that is what it is, it's I did something wrong. Obviously, you can see that what guilt may need is quite different than some of these other ones. It needs a space to express, but it needs a place and a way in which to set right what you may have done wrong. So, embarrassment. Embarrassment, the words that we can think of, are things like fleeting, and a bit funny, and it can offer quite a sense of common humanity, so that when it happens, you kind of think, I know I'm not the only person who's gone through this. It's embarrassing, it's kind of washing over, it makes your cheeks red, you wish it hadn't happened, but it's fleeting, so in a bit of time, it will go away, and it it will be funny to you. So, quite an example. Recently, I was reading *Some Brownie Brown with Anita Milana*, and I was sitting on the floor, kind of like this. And I realized, oh, I think I have something in my pants. It must be a sock. So I pull it out, and it's a pair of undies. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a perfect example. It's like at no point did I think, it was not, did I think, I? Oh, I'm so glad this happened. <laughs> but absolutely, they both I'll share on your behalf. They're Like, oh yeah, I've done that before. We all thought it was funny. This is embarrassment. So yeah, I think it's leeting, funny, common humanity. At least that are yours, though. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> 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 I don't wear undies. Whoa! Say it again. Language is good. Uh, All right. So humiliation. Humiliation can feel the most like shame of these. But the way that we distinguish humiliation from shame is that when something happens to us or we do something, we don't believe we deserve it. So I didn't deserve that happening to me as humiliation. So these ones, it could be that the same thing happens and we all respond in different ways. That something could happen to me that's humiliation and it could feel like shame to you. But for me, I thought of an experience of humiliation is that I remember in high school, I had one day where I remember calling my dad to come pick me up because I loved high school. High school. <laughs> this may have been how many of you experience high school every day, but not me. So I remember it was probably the first or second year of high school, and I had these two groups of friends, one group that was obviously deciding to go more and more into partying and drinking, and another group that was quite anti that and no, we're going to youth group and we will avoid any party that we think there will be like a peach drink that has some alcohol. <laughs> and I remember being quite in the middle and torn and friends with both of these groups for different reasons and did different activities with them. And so that was always a hard challenge for me to navigate. But for whatever reason, I remember coming to school one day and this group that had gotten more and more into partying had decided to tell their parents, were basically my friends as well I lived in a small town and I like people so I remember these their parents were people I respected and yeah I knew and they had told their parents that I was the biggest partier of us all that I had gotten I think whatever some party totally smashed but I 100% knew I hadn't and I didn't and I just wanted I wanted out of there like I did not want to be at school that day and if I had been able to say to my dad I feel humiliated that might have been helpful but it was more just I don't know <laughs> so shame shame is the feeling I am bad I am not enough I am flawed inadequate not worthy of love belonging and connection so one of the things that can Suck enough, or suck even more, is that idea of not enough. So you can fill that in with any line. I am not thin enough. I am not smart enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not interesting enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not a good enough parent. It could be so many different enoughs. But any time where you take that, I am bad, not enough, flawed, or inadequate, and then therefore take it to this level of, so therefore I'm not worthy of love, belonging, and connection. Shame is reeking in your life. Billy and I were talking about this as we were talking about this series, and I was sharing with her this idea that Brené Brown, my friend, says, (laughs) shame is a human experience. Absolutely, every person experiences it and will continue to experience it. And we were kind of like, oh, why is that? That that really sucks. (laughs) But basically, another way you could think about the definition is that it is also a fear Of disconnection or a fear of not belonging or a fear of not being loved we are wired absolutely every part of us to be human is to be loved belonging connection that's what we are geared for Mm -hmm. so as long as you want that in your life and you that is always a vulnerable thing she says you do not get to control who loves you where you belong and who you connect to you don't get to control that so as long as you're vulnerable to that, you will be vulnerable to shame. And actually, if you turn that off, you're basically like a psychopath. So <laughs> those are your actions. <laughs> so she says it's not about not experiencing shame. And actually what it is, it's called shame resilience. She says, how do you move through shame in an authentic way that is true to you? Maintain your authenticity, and actually you find your authenticity. I think it's quite fitting to the mosaic image, or even here, it's like, yeah, when you piece things back together, you actually do find who you are. And I think that makes sense more and more to me as I think about some of the ideas I'll get to. But, yeah, so she says it's not about not experiencing it, it's about going through it and not around it. Mm -hmm. And that through it, you find your story, who you are, and your authenticity. So what does that look like to move through shame rather than around it? How do we actually do that? So I thought we'll move through a little bit more of a story of me feeling shame. And basically there's two main main things that we do to move through shame. First thing is to recognize it. So one of the things I think is quite helpful is to think back. Again, unfortunately, the way shame works is that Children record shame in their brain as trauma. So anytime a child or we as children feel like we are unlovable, we are unworthy, we don't connect or we don't belong, the brain basically gets a scar that never goes away. So you absolutely can experience healing. You do experience, you build the brain in so many other ways and you you figure out ways and hopefully all these tools that we talk about help you to navigate that. But it's in your brain. So one of the things, and Billy was saying it, they used this analogy in one of her research papers, is of a spring. So that when you experience shame, your brain basically springs back to all these other moments that you felt that. Like, I'm not thin enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm, yeah, whatever. So then your brain isn't just looking at that one piece of evidence. It's actually going, and these are all the other pieces of evidence as to why this is true. So this spring and this... Trauma. So basically, you know, when you think about it, so figure out what for you triggers shame. So you think back all the way. You know, it's like, I know that when I move into ex- crying, crying is a trigger for shame for me mm-hmm. because all of a sudden I move to the, all this evidence as to why, therefore, I'm weak and therefore, that's all I can see and experience. So the other analogy that you think about, not just a spring, but a zoom lens. Mm-hmm. So when shame happens to me, this is quite intense. It's like, all I can see is this. So I know feedback or critique can also be a trigger for shame for me. So I was recently talking to my boss and doing a review, and she says, I just love working with you. Here's all the reasons that I think you're making a great impact. Here's everything that I think is better than what I had hoped. And here's this thing that I thought we could do differently. It's like, (laughs) that's the only thing that I can hear from the conversation. It's like, oh, my gosh. And so where my brain immediately went to was, I shouldn't even be a strengths coach. I can't believe I help people be a strengths coach. She's probably going to tell me I don't have a job soon. Like, that is basically where my brain, that's shame. That for me, it's like this intense Zoom lens. And then the next movement for me, which is pretty much blame. So that's not a nice feeling to feel. So the next thing I do is, whose fault could this be? I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel like I'm the one here who's bad. You didn't train me well enough. You, this, we're not set up well for this. So, my brain, and then no matter what it is, pretty much can pull Justin into that blame storm. <laughs> Somehow it's pretty much his fault. Pretty much everyone around, so I can pull everybody into my blame storm. And then the next thing I do, because I feel like shit, everyone around me is a bit shit, so I go quiet. It's like, I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> so, I remember this experience walking out to the lounge having finished this conversation with my boss. And she's like, I just love working with you," but Whatever, yeah, okay. So I go out to the kitchen, and Justin's going, well, how's your day going? It's shit, sucks, it's a bad day. <laughs> and I don't want to talk about it. It's just like, I pretty much remember leaving the room, slamming the door, It was like, okay, so she's having a good day. <laughs> so know for you, what triggers you into shame and what your response is, because yours will be different. That's what I do in shame, and I have different things that trigger me. But you have to do a bit of unpacking. It's not obviously that that stopped me from feeling that, Mm -hmm. but what I can tell you is that I feel shame a lot less, and I move through it a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. So basically, I see this horrible behavior in myself, probably felt a bit of guilt at that point, like, oh, that was really not helpful. Mm -hmm. And I know what I have to do is I have to talk to Justin. So that's the next step. So recognize it and speak it doesn't matter what triggers your shame doesn't matter what your response is every single person has to speak shame I'm not saying get up on this stool and speak your story but figure out a trusted person doesn't even have to be that same person that knows everything but any I think of it like a mold basically so Brené says that shame loves secrecy and silence it's just a mold that takes over more and more parts of you and I think about that idea of Ra- when we talk about waging war in ourselves like of course everything then has been brought in, everything becomes mold when basically my boss told me one little thing I could do differently <laughs> like I spoke it to Justin and he's basically looking at me like yeah <laughs> and I hear myself and I hear the crazy I'm like okay <laughs> Yeah, so get perspective. I think, yeah, like when I think about embarrassment, embarrassment being common humanity, speaking it quite often gives me perspective. I'm like, oh, so that's not the only thing that's true of me. And Justin likes to do this whole, just see it as a learning opportunity. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a few tools to think about there. But then I really think it's quite... Profound for me as well to think about how my faith has connected to my journey of shame. One of the things that Brené says is that the only thing that differentiates people who experience love, belonging, and connection, and those who don't, the only difference is that the people who do experience believe they're worthy of it. So they believe they're worthy of love, belonging, and connection, and therefore they experience it. So to me, it's this idea of worthy first. There's nothing we can move into that's actually going to make us worthy. There's no, oh, when I make this much money, when I look this way, when I do this well enough, then I will be worthy. Mm -hmm. She says, and it always kicks me in the gut, that your level of belonging can never be greater than your level of self-worth or Mm -hmm. Mm self-acceptance. The worthy first. I do not know how anybody anybody, navigates the terrain of this world without a place to hang their worth. So what I want to read next is, for me, the Thomas Merton poem. And I think if I could give you anything today, I would give you this poem. So, funnily enough, I read it at Cohen's dedication, but many of you may not have heard it because I was crying and experiencing shame. (laughs) May it be redeemed. In the center of our body is a point of nothingness, which is untouched by sin and by illusion a point of pure truth, a point or spark which belongs entirely to God, which is never at our disposal, from which God disposes of our lives, which is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind or the brutalities of our own woe. This little point of nothingness and of absolute poverty is the pure glory of God in us. It is like a pure diamond, blazing with the invisible light of heaven. It is in everybody. And if we could see it, we would see these millions of points of light coming together in the face and blaze of a sun that would make all the darkness and cruelty of life vanish completely. I have no program for this seeing. It is only given. that the gate of heaven is everywhere. I just think it's such a clear hook that you can hang your worthiness on. Mm-hmm. This I love how he puts it. It belongs entirely to God. It's never at our disposal. It is the pure glory of God in us. It's like a pure diamond. Mm-hmm. But to me, that, that's worthy first. And it's figuring out that diamond is in absolutely every person. It cannot get bigger, and it cannot get smaller. Mm-hmm. The only thing I think you can do is figure out how to let it actually shine out of you and to me that's when you're not at war with yourself when you let god move into every area of your life Hmm. the other way that i think my faith has impacted my journey of shame is through scripture so i remember the summer that justin and i fell madly in love over one handshake (laughs) was the summer that we were studying the book of ephesians and I was committed to reading through this book every night before bed. And I think we were obviously talking about the love of God. It seems like such a big topic. And this actually feels so basic to our faith, this idea that God is in us, that there's the spark of him. But how do you let such a truth that's so big actually wash over you? And to me, that's where scripture, I think, does. It is a way that God heals shame. So what this says is is, um, Paul is writing to the Christians in Eph- Ephesus, right? Mm-hmm. Ephesus. And basically, just so excited that they are on this journey of faith with him. Mm-hmm. And he ends chapter 3 with this prayer For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being that you are then overwhelmed by how long, how wide, how high Mm. the love of Christ is. And I I think scripture is one of the ways that we heal these areas that actually are scars on our brain. Mm. So, that is what I have to offer for you tonight. Mm. I think it's reflecting a bit on the difference between these different emotions. It actually is quite a challenge when you think about, okay, so which experiences Mm. in my life actually fit in these emotions? Mm. Um, and yeah, that's what I've invited you tonight. And then I, when you think about a few of the tools that I've offered us, it's basically recognize your shame. So what triggers it? What's your response? Speak it. Um, how do you sit in that, that idea of being worthy first? So I offered scripture. I think meditation is another one. It's like, I actually know this, but if I'm not centered on it every day, then I don't live from this place. So. Thanks, Vince.